0: Welcome to the Pitbox Podcast. I'm John Satori. Back to business this week, the Russian Grand Prix taking us to round 10 of the 2020 Formula One season. Uh, Russia, along with Austria in round one, are the only race to have kept their original date, uh, race date that is. Of course, a week off last week, a well deserved break for all team members after three weeks on the road. A real need to refresh both physically and mentally for all team members. Now this week on the podcast, I'm joined once again by Jimbo James Underhay. We'll be looking at the stories making waves over the past days or weeks, including who we think we may have seen the last of in F1. A special guest this week too. Ellie Fish takes up the case for the defence of Lance Stroll, keeping his seat at Racing Point. And we're going to take a look at what makes up a lap of Sochi and preview this weekend's race: tyres, strategy, the lot. The Pit Box Podcast. Yeah, so it is round 10 and we are off to Sochi. Of course, here last year, uh, that suspected internal turmoil that slightly seeped out at the race previous in Singapore came bubbling to the surface in Russia when Vettel seemed to fly in the face of uh, the team's instructions to let his teammate repass him. Uh, An instruction that we all heard on the team radio on the broadcast as well. Now, just to refresh your memory, Vettel got a predicted slipstream from P3. Remember, Leclerc got P1, Hamilton was P2. But P3 was always the coveted position because you get that slipstream from the man who's ahead of you, which is the pole sitter. Uh, And that's the way it turned out. Uh, He drifted past Hamilton, then got past his teammate to lead into turn two. Remember, turn one is so slight, it's almost not a turn. And, of course, it was a lead that he wasn't willing to give up, despite that intra-team pre-race arrangement that we found out uh, later on, that he would. Uh, and also, it seemed that Vettel intentionally pushed the pace and widened the gap between himself and Leclerc in second, which was, of course, to the detriment of both drivers, because, and well, particularly their tyres, um, because, obviously, the harder you push, the, the quicker you, run, uh, you you deg those tyres. And, of course, making that gap bigger gave Seb the excuse that, Leclerc was too far behind, Then, if he gave the lead back, uh, which he was supposed to do, I think the first call came through about lap six or seven, um, that he himself would then be vulnerable to attack from Hamilton. Now, remember also that the Mercs were the only cars to get through qualifying and start the race on the medium tyres, so the, the, the harder compound, that compromise between the hards and the and, and the soft. So the yellow tyres is what they started on. And, of course, when they came in for their second stop, they'd be swapping to the faster soft compounds. And, of course, at that point, the Ferraris would have been on the slightly slower medium compound tyres. And maybe in Seb's defence, that's what he was talking about. I'm sure he was. Um, and, you know, and he told the team over the radio that, essentially, Leclerc needed to close the gap to him rather than him slow his pace. And of course, meanwhile, Leclerc is trying to look after his tyres. Uh, and so, it, it, you know, in the early laps, the gap was, I think it was like low one second, or maybe just over one second. He was just outside of the DRS range. And of course, that's to the advantage of Leclerc as well, knowing that well, according to the pre-race arrangement, he was going to be getting the lead back, so there's no need to be within a second and deg your tyres further by being in the wash of the, the car ahead of you. But then, of course, at lap nine, that gap went out to two seconds, a few laps later, three seconds, then four seconds. And, of course, when Vettel did pit, Leclerc had undercut him because Leclerc had come in a little bit earlier after the team had told him to push. And, of course, as Vettel came out of uh, the pit lane, through went Charles Leclerc. But, of course straight after the pit stop, Vettel retired with an MG UK issue that brought out the virtual safety car. And that all, well, it all went south then for Ferrari because Hamilton and Bottas both pitted, saved half their pit stop loss, Uh, sort of ended really any chance Leclerc had. He pitted again to get onto the same compound tyre as the Mercs, but of course he didn't have any fresh uh, red tyre, soft tyres. He had to go onto a set of used. But yeah, that was sort of the main event, the main story from last year's Russian Grand Prix, and um, I look for my personally. I think I've said this before. I think that's when uh, that, that that's when Ferrari said, "I don't think this is going to work any further with Sebastian, and I think we need to to look further afield for someone else." And I think that's when the plan started to to. Uh, be uh, formulated, if you like, for uh, 2021. Anyway, um, of course, uh, it's going to be another Bottas versus Hamilton at Sochi. It's a favorite track of the Finns. I mean, he doesn't have as good a record as Lewis here, but it's uh, probably, I think it's only Austria where Bottas has a better record. Here in Russia, he's got one win, four podiums, one pole, He's finished top four in all but one out of the six races that he's raced here, and that was the 12th, and that was when uh, he was driving for Williams and Raikkonen in the Ferrari took him out on the last lap. That was in 2015. And as I say, it's only, I think, the Red Bull ring where he's got a better record, but he certainly loves driving here. Uh, So the lap at Sochi, three very different sectors. Sector one, highest speed of them. Uh, Turn one taken flat out. As I was saying, it's almost not a turn. It includes the first DRS zone, uh, which doesn't, encompass the start-finish line, it actually starts after that. And that sweeping left-hander, that real long turn three, it's brilliant, isn't it? But it does put a lot of lateral load on that front right tyre particularly. But it is a good overtaking opportunity into Turn 4. There is a decent amount of overtaking opportunities at Sochi. Uh, if you think back to last year, Turn 4, the one I'm talking about, Albert on signs was a particularly fantastic move. Went around the outside and then, of course, late break into the uh, right-hander of Turn 4 and got past signs. It was always on anyway. Uh, and then Sector 2, a bit slower but it does have the second DRS zone that punctuates it as you break into sector three. And again, uh, down into that right-hander as the uh, the straight finishes, you've got a real good overtaking opportunity as well to outbreak with the assistance of the DRS. And uh, that's the turn 13, of course. And then sector three is quite slow and technical, but it does require accuracy because you you sweep onto the main straight again and there's sort of a, not quite a double right-hander, but uh, there's two um, 90 degree right-handers. And if you don't get the sort of the first one of those right, it really messes up your run down the main straight. And, of course, that's such a, um, a long straight with the DRS on it as well, slipstream opp- uh, opportunities there again. So you have to be very, very clinical in that final sector. So what can we expect to see this weekend? Well, I can't see anything else but a Mercedes win, I'm afraid, once again. The question is who, and even then, uh, it's pretty clear. I think Lewis Hamilton, it'd have to, you know, Hamilton just does that little bit extra in qualifying. Although again, being on pole position here, as we were talking about, when we look at what happened last year is not necessarily uh, the place to be. So anybody who's in P3 or P4 uh, has a real opportunity. And if that is the uh Uh, The Red Bulls, which is it's likely to be, unless somehow Mercedes can miraculously make sure they're in P3 and P4. And I don't think they'd even want to try that anyway. I mean, how do you do that? How do you conjure that up? Um, So I think they'd just be thinking, right, what we'll do is that we're going to go pole position as per normal, and then we've just got to make sure that we're clinical and we have a better strategy to get past what will most likely be the Red Bulls ahead of them um, should uh, Max Verstappen start from P3 and Albon from P4. Uh, Will Albon be able to... Uh, get to grips with that Red Bull again this weekend he did a really good job got a, a podium his first ever podium such relief and you know he was saying in the um uh, in the week about that he's not reading newspapers he's not looking in the media because he's tired of reading about speculation as to whether or not he'll still be at Red Bull I think he will be at Red Bull next year I think what's happening um with Alpha and Gasly um is sort of pretty much secured his seat for next year. And he had a good result here last year. Uh, He ended up fifth, didn't he? But um, overall, because we've got these softer tyres, the question is, uh, will that see a two-stopper come into play? Last year, um, it was a one-stopper. Well, it ended up being a two-stopper for a lot of the... um, Well, certainly for, uh, sorry, uh, Charles Leclerc, he two-stopped. And, of course, he ended up on the podium, but that was because of the the safety car. Uh, But I I still don't see a two-stopper being an option here or, or the preferred option, last year's soft is this year's medium and it was doing last year 23 to 26 laps and the hard this year is last year's medium uh, which could do over 30 so I, I just don't see uh, anything but a one stopper and of course last year only two Mercs started on the medium compounds, will Red Bull be able to get through the quality stages running, uh, particularly get out of Q2 on those mediums um and and the other thing is it sorry just talking about Albon the other thing I remembered is that he had a great race here last year because he started from the pit lane okay got helped a bit by the virtual safety car and that closed the uh the field up again but you know this is a track that he likes and I think it's perfect timing for him after that great result at Mugello sorry I just had a note there that I just scrolled to and remembered that that he's he had a pit lane start here so this um hopefully last week was a uh, last weekend or sorry last race was a turning point for him and he can continue that on this weekend it was also interesting looking at uh, articles from last year it was here that ferrari were insisting uh, when they were speaking to the press that its engine advantage is smaller than people think it is and not as huge as what mercedes has had in the past uh, of course they were saying that the straight line speed was boosted by its decision to prioritize a more aerodynamically efficient car last year at the cost of higher peak downforce. And, of course, they've now gone across to having a, a car that's got more downforce on it, but they don't have the, the engine now to push it, which, of course, has been the big story for two thousand and twenty season in Ferrari. Um, you know, Some in the paddock last year were saying that they, they, they estimated it could only be worth two to three-tenths of a second, but in quali last year, the Ferrari gain was as much as seven-tenths of a second over Mercedes on the straights. But of course, as I say, that uh, is all last year because they have not the advantage that they had last year with regards to their engine. But anyway, um, getting back to strategy, I think it's going to be a one-stop one, one stop race. If you can start on those mediums, you're always going to want to, and the Mercs will probably get through on that. Uh, it's just a question of whether or not Red Bull will. The uh, battle between the racing points, the uh, Renaults and the McLarens, and of course, the racing point's a battle of uh, of time to whether or not they can get the upgrades uh, remade for their car, because last uh, last race, you might recall that there was only one set available. They got given to Lance Stroll because of no other reason apart from the fact that he had out-qualified Perez, um, and so he got them, but of course, he ended up binning his car. Not his fault, and of course, uh, not quite sure how many of those upgrades actually survived the accident, but uh, either way. Uh, they've been pretty busy up Silverstone Way at uh, the Racing Point factory, getting as many of those upgrades possible as possible done and ready for a one, if not both cars. Now, the other thing I meant to mention was, did you see the memes? Uh, I was on Twitter or on Instagram. I can't remember who put it on, because, and I'd love to give them a credit because I thought it was brilliant, where there was a photo of... Racing points. Uh, the Racing Point car, Stroll's car, being uh, lifted out by one of the um, Manitou's. and of course half the uh, the chassis, the engine covers, being torn away, and and underneath there, someone's very cleverly photoshopped the skin of the Mercedes. Yeah, well done. You did win the internet that day for sure. But yeah, that battle in the midfield is going to be interesting between McLaren, Renault, and Racing Point. Uh, that's obviously going to be behind whatever Max Verstappen can do. Hopefully he'll be starting from P3 right behind Lewis Hamilton to get that slipstream and give them a right battle down at least into turn two and maybe for a, a few laps at least. But we'll wait and see. That's all coming your way this weekend. Round 10. It's the Russian Grand Prix from Sochi. So last episode, I was speaking to James Underhay, who is an out-and-out Ferrari fan, also a big fan of Sebastian Patel, who's, as we know, heading across to Aston Martin next year. Now, at the end of the podcast, I did mention that it, it'd be great to get the viewpoint of a Racing Point fan to discuss that move. And uh, not only have we got a Racing Point fan, we've got a Lance Stroll Racing Point fan. Ellie, welcome to the podcast. You're a big fan of Lance Stroll. And if you like, you're presenting the case for the defence of Lance keeping his seat. So wh- what was it? that sort of first brought you to sort of following Lance Stroll? Was it always him or were you a racing point fan first?
1: I, so when I came into F1, it was quite a few years ago. It was about 2016 and obviously he was driving. But at my point that I tend to realise I liked him was um, in randomly, not even Formula One. It was uh, the 24 hours of Daytona. And you could see the hate he was getting in the 2017 season. But in the 24 hours of Daytona, I was, I noticed he had a lot of pace. He was really good. Um, They qualified second on the grid, I believe, uh, Jackie Chan racing. It was his second time doing it. And um, I think he was 19, 20 at the time. And um, he was so young and he was performing really well in this 24-hour race. And Fernando Alonso did it that year with Lando Norris. So it's definitely, you can highlight how good he must have been to be in that car. And they finished 11th, but it was the qualifying that really started to me. I went, oh, hold up. This guy's actually got quite a bit of pace. And suddenly I was like, okay, I might actually like him if he's quite good and uh, I definitely felt kind of bad for him in a way. I was like, Do you know, what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna take him on board and support him.
0: <laughs> Good stuff. Um, and and of course, he's got a podium with Williams prior to coming across to Racing Point, and he's now got a podium with Racing Point. So it uh, it does sort of um, uh, back up what you're saying as far as his pace is concerned.
1: Yeah, it does. You know, he's um, in 2017. He took that in a, a very not similar. Actually, yeah, he said this at the time. Two very similar races in Monza and, and Azerbaijan Uh, in just crazy and the front runners just didn't something went wrong Uh, 2017 was the brake testing incident and 28 uh, 2020 this year at Monza was just penalties and going crazy and he really showed that he can because even though in Monza he may not have won the race you have still have to keep the pace up to be on the podium because you've got massive threats from behind and he did that both times and, you know, in 2017, really, he should have taken second, but Bottas got him on the line in a Mercedes. So um, definitely he's shown his pace so many times. And I think people really need to look at that.
0: Yeah, and of course, um, you know, he the, the, the question, I suppose, that a lot of people have said is, okay, well, why should it be Lance over Perez? And, of course, you know, you start looking at, you know, sponsors and how um, how long Checo's been with Racing Point, and of course he helped them um, sort of transition, if you like, from uh, for what was Force India across to uh, to Racing Point, um, and he's got lots of sponsors, hasn't he, as well? So he brings all that as well.
1: Yeah, Lance is um, his biggest sponsor. Is actually uh, is it JCB, the construction mm. firm, and um, I didn't I realised that, that he they're one of his biggest sponsors until recently, and of course, of course, his biggest supply of money is his dad who owns the team and owns Aston Martin and so many different (laughs) things and Checo of course has these brilliant sponsors and people really forget that he comes with a lot of money I think people choose to really rule out that Checo has a lot of money behind him he comes with these mass sponsors from Mexico who like he. I think when you look at Mexico it's like displayed everywhere especially when we go uh, Mm. racing there which we're not doing this year but Lance brings probably more money than Checo does now uh, just because of the nature of who his dad is, and also things like JCB, other sponsors that are smaller. So overall, I think he brings a lot of money to the team.
0: Well, that's right. I mean, the biggest sponsor that you can bring is a team owner, isn't it?
1: Yeah, 100%. <laughs> like, what what is a bigger sponsor than, oh, you know, and as well, you know, the people that are in the consortium with Lawrence will be very aware of Lance, obviously. They'll be friends of Lawrence and business owners, and they'll be knowing Lance is and they'll be also contributing to that money so it's it's definitely the biggest sponsor you can bring.
0: And of course if you if you then sort of put that to the side saying well you know money wise they both bring a lot you then look at what their performance is on the track and of course last year okay yep uh, stroll uh, lance was sort of outdone by checo but this year that's not the case is it?
1: No and it's it's a case of last year that their car didn't show the newfound budget and I said this the car last year was very much reflective of when they're in administration and the struggles and and having a bad car can hamper you completely but when you have a good car you have to compete in it and you have to use the tools you have and that is exactly what lance has done he's taken this very fast car which is extremely resemblant of um, a mercedes w10 and he's taken that car and he has used the tools he has and he's driving it to good positions you know third place, it's fourth place, arguably could have taken a podium this weekend, last weekend at Mugello if it wasn't for a, you know, a failure on his uh, wheel. So it's, it's, he is driving everything out of that car. Whereas it's not that Checo isn't, it's that Checo is, doesn't seem to be as Fast, or maybe the car doesn't suit him as much as it does to Lance. That has to be considered, I would say.
0: Yeah, and I suppose you look back at Monza and say, well, he he, he lucked in because he got a free pit stop, uh, so there was no sort of 24-second time penalty. Um, but by the same token, last week, as you said, at Mugello, he should have been on the podium because, you know, he was driving an excellent race and it was that, um, that, that rear tyre failure that put him into the wall, and that was going to be a, a fantastic result. And again, so you sort of think, okay, well, that sort of balances it out a bit, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, and the and the truth is about what happened in Monza is you have you to sometimes have to look into things. And if that's what happened, it was a very similar thing what happened with them in um last year in Germany when Lance took his best result of the year in twenty nineteen and um, he finished fourth. And what had happened is Racing Point didn't pick the car. And uh, that looked them into, I think Lance led the race for like a lap or two. Mm. And you have to look into things like that. That is just strategy calls that happen. And really, in the end, he kind of timed his pit stop in Monza brilliantly. And he should have taken the podium in Mugello. I think he would have had that pace over Ricardo. It just would have been against Albon, but we don't know because we didn't get to see it.
0: You know, that's right. and And, and I think Racing Point had ricardo covered in the end i i i think you're right it was sort of whether or not he lance could have got from fourth up to third and, and yeah i mean albon i mean in some ways you don't begrudge albon finally getting his podium after you know not getting one in uh, Brazil not, last no. year you know what i mean <laughs> and it's the same with pierre gasly as well the week before look you know carlos signs i'm thinking that'd be great if he actually got um you know his first race win but you don't begrudge gasly after the 18 months he's had either
1: no you can't any of the guys that t- took the podiums the past few weeks you you have not begrudged them at all because i don't think anyone would have begrudged daniel on the podium or alex pierre signs like no one is angry about that i don't think we've seen so much love for these like so much love for a podium <laughs> as we did in monza like people just like this is the best and the same last week i, I it's rare that i saw people being angry that alex had finally proven he deserves to be at Um, You know, he did what he has to do and that's back up the results when the first driver didn't, um, you know, didn't finish the race because Max went out. So Alex took a podium and that was great. It would have just been interesting to see the battle between him and Stroll, but no one's angry that we didn't see the battle 100%.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting just, you know, quickly on Albon that he, I mean, maybe he's turned a corner with that Red Bull because he has struggled and he's almost looked like Gasly last year, really, and that's what everybody's been doing the comparison of. Um, but it's good to see that he's actually, for a young driver, turned the corner and getting some, as you say, some new fresh faces on that podium because as much as it's great to see someone like Lewis Hamilton collecting all these records, it's nice to see a, a, a different car and a different person up there.
1: Yeah, 100%. I When you see these younger drivers on that just get you excited for the future as well when eventually the day comes that Hamilton and Vettel leave Formula One you know I just say those because those two are like the big world champions <laughs> um, but you know the days they come I don't think we're in bad hands in Formula One at all and it does become just exciting to see um, when you see all these new drivers and you're thinking what what a good next like few years of Formula One we have ahead of us uh, when this all occurs
0: and I mean, in, um, in addition to Lance, who are the other young drivers um, out there at the moment um, on the grid or even that you think are coming through that, that catch your eye and you think, yeah, you know, I mean, you know, these guys are going to be exciting.
1: I have to say this, and I've always vouched for this guy because I've watched him since he was in Formula Three. George Russell, I don't yeah. think anybody can deny it. this guy is unfortunately in a Williams, really, and he doesn't get that chance. This weekend, I was really, I was so disappointed at his start because yeah. that was the problem. If he hadn't made that mistake at the start of the the third start in the Mugello race, he would have been in points, and he had he drove there. I don't even know what to say. He drove everything out of that car at the weekend and even Vettel commenting saying, I knew what he was doing and he had better pace than us. And Vettel's in a Ferrari, which, yes, is not very good this year, but he's in a Ferrari and he was saying, you know, he looked better than us and I could see what he was doing and it's so sad to see he didn't get in the points in the end. And realistically, I think think it it was quite interesting um, to, to see him, but I will be, and I've said this, I can't wait to see hopefully the day that George moves to Mercedes and see him finally get to show people do you know what I am a really good driver because I've always said I do think he's as good as Charles and I do think he's as good as Max of course Lando there's no denying Lando Norris is um I think I caught everybody's eye everybody loves Lando um because he not only his personality is brilliant he's shown his pace in this McLaren as well and the battle between him and uh, and science is really interesting and I think next year it'll be so interesting to see him up against Ricardo. I'm really excited for that partnership so they're two drivers that have definitely caught my eye who I think will definitely compete with the likes of Charles Leclerc and Max Verstappen in future years
0: and of course Lance
1: And, of course, Lance, yeah, Lance, yeah, of
0: course. All right, Ellie, look, thank you very much for your time and for coming on and, um, you know, best of luck with with what you're doing and thank you very much for being the defence for Lance Stroll. I think you might have converted a few people.
1: No problem. Thank you very much for having me.
0: So we're taking a look at what's been happening over the last couple of weeks, and I suppose the big news in the last week or so was the news that Sergio Perez was no longer going to be driving for Racing Point. I think we covered that in the last podcast, um, that he's losing his seat to Sebastian Vettel, Lance Stroll gets to keep his seat, and of course we uh, spoke to Ellie Fish about that, and she put the case of, uh, or the defence if you like, for Lance Stroll. But let's take a look at some of the options, because if Perez is going to stay in F1, it does mean that... He's going to replace someone on the current grid, and that means we're going to see the last of them. And I think there's maybe more than one driver that we might see the last of. Joined once again by James Underhay. Um, now, Jimbo, what um, – I mean, how did – Magello? it was an incredible race. First of all, uh, we haven't had your reaction to it.
2: No, it was uh, it was pretty awesome. Um, well, for many reasons, I think it was a good race, obviously not necessarily for Ferrari, although Seb got some points, um, There's an interesting little fact I saw this week. Uh, Seb's the fifth driver in Formula One history to score points in 200 GPs. So uh, despite the pretty uh, grotty time he's having at Ferrari, it's a a nice little shout for him there. I think that was quite uh, quite poignant given the circumstances. Um, So yeah, uh, yeah, interesting week kind of. Uh, breaking down the race and uh the the circumstances obviously uh, with the the restarts etc it was it was pretty wild wasn't it no oh,
0: absolutely and of course there's been lots uh lots said about that uh that restart who was at fault etc and yeah. um we've been uh, been over that ground as well but uh, let's get back to it um yeah you know Sergio Perez of course Sebastian Vettel's heading to what is going to be Aston Martin next year um, but where do you think he could land? I mean, there's not too many options open to him, is there?
2: It depends, really. I mean, I think there's – I've got some strong views on this, John. I think you you, know, you and I have discussed this. I think there's plenty of drivers in the field at the moment that potentially um, have outstayed their welcome. Um, you know, if you look at Haas, I mean, Haas has obviously been talked about. There's a US link with a Mexico-US link for, for – Uh, Sergio there potentially, that could be appealing Um, and both drivers in my opinion uh, both in Kevin Magnussen and Roman Grosjean you know, what are they really achieving in the sport now? Um, You know, K-Mag okay, I think he's shown uh, glimpses of of talent at times, Um, you know, he's had some decent results here and there, he's had some decent quality sessions, but he's no spring chicken anymore, you know, he's just about to turn 28 Um, he's not the young hotshot he was. Um, Okay, he makes less errors than Grosjean. I think that's one thing we can can say that is uh, in his favour. So out of the two of them, potentially, yeah, you're going to see him probably the most likely to keep his seat there. But when you look at Grosjean, 34 years old, 10 podiums, I think, in around 11 years in the sport, Um, the last one being 2015. You know, Mm. what sort of return is that for someone who was once a target for Ferrari. I don't think it's, it's all that. And you can argue about cars and performance and this, that and the other, but the reality is he had a chance. And I I think there's so many drivers out there now that deserve a chance I feel like he's kind of used all his tokens up. Um, He's an interesting character. You know, I'll go back to the mistakes. He's very quick to lay blame at other people's door, um, which I don't particularly like. (laughs) Well, Um, well, yeah,
0: I mean, the the classic was um, the Ericsson hit me from behind in Baku a couple of years ago, and Ericsson was like metres away from it. (laughs) Right,
2: exactly. You know, and I think, you know, being judgmental, I don't think he's necessarily... uh, uh, got the, uh, the the gravitas to have such a, a judgment, judgmental attitude towards some of his uh, compatriots, but um, I just feel he's just a perennial perennial under, underachiever in the sport, and um, you know a lot of hype around his speed when he was younger, but I, I, I don't see that anymore. So he's got to be one that you'd be looking at to to say goodbye to at some point.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I, I tend to agree. I was a little bit surprised um, that Hask ran him again this year. But I think that that may be his final year in F one. I, I can see them holding on to to K. Mag. I, I think he's still got something to offer. I really do. And also, depending on who they get in next to him, if they get a, if they get a a junior in, if they run one, uh, someone from the Ferrari Academy to, to pay for the the Ferrari engines, although are they worth paying for it at the moment? I'm sorry, I know I keep bashing mm-hmm. Ferrari, um, but uh, you know, to get a, a young one of the youngsters from the driver academy, you know, to help, which is you know what. It's all about is that you know you you run out a young driver and we'll give you a, a better price on the engines and that's fair enough, but uh, you know you're going to need someone experienced in there. K Mag would fit that I think, Um and but I, I I could see them you know they had an experienced driver pairing for the last what three four years at the very least. Um uh, Sorry sorry three years I suppose if you if you just count Magnuson, but I I can see them holding on to Magnuson and as you said that. American-Mexican connection and the money that Checo Perez would bring in, I think is very, very attractive to Gunther Steiner and Gene Haas. I can really, really see that happening.
2: No, I agree. I agree. I mean, uh, one of Checo's real attributes, outside of the fact that he's a great driver and he's been around a long time, is obviously he comes with a big wallet. And uh, that's going to be appealing for any team, I think, up and down the grid. Um yeah, you know, they would probably go for him if they were to to shelve Grosjean. Um, obviously, it's an interesting time for Checo in the sense that he's probably going to have a few offers on the table because of that fat, fat wallet. Um, there are rumors this week. Uh, I've been reading and listening to with regards to potentially an IndyCar drive with mm. Um I don't know if you've seen that. Yeah, um, yeah. Zach Brown, very kind of openly showing his displeasure at seeing Checo drop by Racing Point in the fashion that he was mm. I think um and he's he's made it clear he'd be very interested in having a chat with him about that drive and and again that for for someone like Checo obviously there's a big connection there obviously US based sport with huge Mexican following I would assume and having someone like him in the in in that series would be phenomenal um you know does that necessarily Peak Checo's interest a little more. Maybe it does. Um, Well, the thing is, is,
0: is, does it peak him enough? You know, does it peak him more than actually trundling around the back, which he knows certainly for next year it's going to be if he's in an Alpha or a Haas because of one, the Ferrari engine, and secondly, that, you know, those cars are not fast even if they had a different engine in them. So that's the very big question. You know, is it better for him to say, you know what, I'm going to do at least a year over, over the pond and get into IndyCar and see what my options are after that. And of course the interesting thing you did bring up was Zach Brown and clever boy. I mean you know he started JMI, he's now the CEO at McLaren. Um and he's creating a new model I I think with F1 in that he's launched the Arrow Schmidt McLaren, you know, racing team which obviously uh competed in Indianapolis and they're in the IndyCar series. And of course there's that cross promotion or you know sponsors getting uh um Uh, What's the word Um, exposure on both sides of the pond via one team? That
2: hasn't happened before, has it? I don't think it has. I'm not sure it has. I mean, uh, potentially, way back when, if you go back to when cars were, you know, drivers, I think potentially were running in both series. They would go and Mm. do maybe the Indy 500, but they would then, you know, go and try and win the Monaco Grand Prix. We talk about the Triple Crown, obviously, all the time with uh, with Fernando trying to achieve that and. Maybe back then, but I think in modern-day racing, teams tend to to focus their attention in, in one particular area. So it's um, it, and, it, it's the, nice to see it.
0: And the thing is that, you know, with Perez, you know, Carlos Slim, he's backed by Carlos Slim, one of the richest men, if not the richest man in the world. So, you know, it, it's it's no sort of um, great surprise that, you know, someone is interested in, in saying, hey, look – you come on board with McLaren, we'll run Checo in the IndyCar, and, of course, your sponsors will get exposure on that side. You'll be a part of this fantastic brand that is McLaren that's on the way up in F1, and, you know, everybody kicks a goal, so to speak. So I, I can I can see that happening as well. It'd be a shame to lose Perez to F1, but the question is how long can he wait, considering he's waited seven or eight years to get a good car and it got flipped out from underneath him.
2: Yeah, and you mentioned uh briefly earlier. You know, does he want to sit for a year at the back of the grid? He's going to know whichever car he gets in. Realistically, it's not going to challenge. Mm. And after the time that he's been in the sport, um, he's. You know what? If I was him, I'd be craving some wins. I'd be craving some some positive energy Go to the states, right? You yeah. can potentially win some IndyCar races. He's always harbored a desire to compete in the Indy Five Hundred. It's on his bucket list. He's talked about it before. And for someone like him now to go and get some love, go, go to the States, get some, uh, some noise around what he's doing over there, because the, the IndyCar series in particular tends to be fairly open. You don't see the same win week in, week out. Obviously, you see someone rise to the top. You've got Dixons, et cetera. You know, these guys are going to win titles, but there is more opportunity there. I think it's a slightly more equal field. Um, and for Checo at his stage of his career, like you say, you could either go over there, do a year, see how it goes. You might end up loving it. Or alternatively, he could go and do a year, fill the love, and actually get a bigger drive for twenty-two in, in Formula One. So mm. why not maybe look at an alternative rather than sitting at the back of the field in something that ultimately is not gonna not gonna win you anything?
0: Okay, so we are agreed that Checo is is it the first option that he goes to the States? Because I, I can see him doing that. And, and and if he doesn't um if he doesn't land at Haas, I think that's what he's gonna do. In fact, I think he's probably gonna go to the States and see what happens. I I'm gonna call that now. What do you think? Okay.
2: Big shout. Big shout. I I think it's I think it's a very attractive option for him. It's closer to home as well. You know, half the reason he had these COVID issues was that he made the trip back to Mexico to see his folks. Yeah. And he's been on the road a long time. Um, you know, to, to to be an hour or two's flight away as opposed to seven or eight hours, you can't he can't make that trip that often. So there's there's lots of reasons for him to do that and let's also just consider for a second the mclaren situation financially at the moment regardless of their performance on track is not incredible there are yeah. you know t- there's stuff going on behind the scenes in terms of refinancing and stuff like that and you know let's hope they get it sorted out and i think they will because they're a brand that can't not be associated with Formula One and a British brand that we should all be very, very proud of. So I'm sure they will get to that. But again, you know, that the tie-in with Checo and the big wallet, Carlos Slim, et cetera, maybe it just comes at the right time for them all to get together and go, right, let's go have some fun uh, and make this happen.
0: Okay. So who takes that second seat then? I mean, I we've got, let's say we've got Magnussen in there, because I don't I think it'd be a big call for Gene Haas to put two new drivers in there. And particularly if he's not going to put someone experienced in, unless he brings Hulkenberg in. I just can't see Hulkenberg fitting in that seat either only because is he going to want to trundle around at the back again with no real clear sort of option of what he's going to have in the future considering his age so I don't really think that Hulkenberg's an option for Haas or Haas is an option for Hulkenberg more likely but let's say we've got K-Mag in one seat what junior and it's going to be a Ferrari junior or, or any other option can you suggest goes into that seat?
2: Well, I mean, if you're talking Ferrari Juniors, there's one name obviously really at the top of the list at the moment, and that's Mick Schumacher. But there's talk now of him obviously moving to uh, potentially filling the second seat at uh, at uh, Alfa Romeo, um, sitting alongside Kimi. Um, you know, the, the chatter around that's quite interesting at the moment in terms of, you know, a- again, another you can't call him a perennial underachiever because he hasn't been in the sport for long enough, but uh, Antonio Giovinazzi, you know, mm. again, these young drivers, when they come into the sport, they have something to prove very quickly and it either goes your way. And sometimes it doesn't, um, you know, he dropped it at spa right in front of Kimi, you know, pushing too hard, should have let Kimi past. And um, yeah, there's an argument that he will disappear at some point. So Mick Schumacher is obviously in line for something and it's already being talked about. Now, whether that would be Haas because of the Ferrari link with the engines or whether they would draft him into Alfa Romeo, it's hard to say. Um, you, you, going back to the Hulk thing, I think you've got a really valid point. The only thing I would say is that, number one, is the Hulk in a particularly choosy situation? Is he in a position to be able to make that decision himself? Or if he's that desperate to get back into the sport, which I think he is, he's made that clear. You know, there are talks happening at the moment. I do want to be back on the grid in 21. Is Nico Hulkenberg in a position where he can pick and choose? I'm not sure he is. No um no. you know he, like you've already alluded to his, the, the, the stage of his career his age etc he's got to take a punt now you know he's going to be in a situation where he's got to get his bum in a, in a car as quickly as possible the quicker he's in a car the quicker he can prove what he can do even if it's an underperforming car because you would fancy him to outperform K-Mag if he ran that seat with him alongside him <laughs> and, and actually so, just,
0: just for a moment think of that Magnussen and Hulkenberg, and you remember how they clashed. Right, exactly. They Imagine the best of
2: that as a driver yeah. pairing. They weren't the best of friends, and maybe that will put Gene Hulse off. Or yeah. maybe that maybe he'll quite like that. I don't know. Um, although having said that, I'm not sure uh, Gunther could deal with it. You know the, the the grief that he gets on a weekly basis now is uh, oh no. Uh, Can you imagine? Too
0: much. The, yeah, the the uh, the f bombs that are be dropped uh, not just from Gunther but uh, from between those two. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, that,
2: that would be quite fun to watch. Interesting so, thought. Yeah. Who knows?
0: Who knows? Okay, so let's move on to. So we're sort of it's a little bit un, unsure as to. I, I think you're right. They're probably going to go with a junior uh, and one of the Ferrari juniors into the Haas seat. So let's. Let's move on to Alfa Romeo because you were talking about Giovinazzi um, and I'm really hoping that it's not the last time we see Kimi. I'd like to see Kimi just continue to drive in F1 because I think he's just a fantastic character and he, and he still puts it in. Okay, he probably doesn't have it uh, as much in, in spades as he used to, but I just love him on the grid. Um, but Giovinazzi, I think he's had his time and I think you're then looking at guys like Schwarzman, Mick Schumacher, Callum Ilott, surely, to go into that uh, sure. that other seat, no?
2: Sure. They've got some real talent in that stable, I think, Um, you know, and that's the results these guys are getting uh, in F2 are just phenomenal. Um, Mick, obviously, I think the challenge with F2 is it's so hyper competitive. You don't necessarily see the same person winning week in, week out. And, you know, Mick is currently leading the, the championship. He's done an incredible job. And obviously, there's a, a fantastic story for him rising through the ranks and becoming an F1 driver. Uh, I think if he wins the championship this year in F2, I think they can't not give him a seat. Mm. Um, and, you know, you, going back to to, to Giovinazzi, you know, the, the Bergamo bullet, as he is uh, commonly referred to, it sounds potentially like he's going to have one coming at him soon and mm. uh, he's going to be on, on the way out the door. Um, who Who knows? But... Having Kimmy alongside Mick, wouldn't that be a fairy tale as well? I I don't think Schumacher senior would be too unhappy about that.
0: No, that's right. Um, You know, Kimmy has obviously great, uh, uh, great times and great memories of of racing along uh, or racing, you know, Michael Schumacher his father. But um, I think he'd be a a, yeah a great uh, a great person to have alongside young Mick. But that's the thing. When you look at that, I think maybe Kimmy still does have. At least one more year in him because I can't see anybody else on the grid apart from Hulkenberg. And again, does Hulkenberg want to be in that role of being at the back of the grid? Um You know, without really thinking, no, without without sorry, knowing that there's no real pathway up to mm. something better. You know, because because um, you, you look you look at you know where's he going to go? You know, Mercedes no, Red Bull no, McLaren no you know it's it's sort of like be banking on a team like um you know someone in 2022 uh, doing an absolutely incredible job better than everybody else and all of a sudden finding themselves in the top 2 or 3 that you know what i mean have got a, a, a stable of drivers that um you know could be improved upon, if you like. And and Williams is the first one I'm thinking of only because yeah. they're, you know, where they are at the moment. Not that George Russell's a bad driver at all, but you know what I mean is that I could, uh, it's the only way I could really see Hulkenberg wanting to, to, to get involved again, because he'd think maybe that might happen, but that's a big if. Well,
2: it's the last row. It's really the last roll of the dice for him, isn't it? Yeah. You know, and that's, that's where the kind of gamble comes in. If there's a, if there's a project and these guys, obviously are going to be talking about 22 now because that, like we discussed last week, the writings on the wall for, for Ferrari next year. You know, Carlos and Charles are knowing, knowing, going into next year, uh, knowing what they're going to be faced with. Um, so it's got to be about 22. There's got to be a story, the development that's going on behind the scenes, uh, uh, that what they're doing to make their cars. You know, with this reset of the regs. Uh, you know more uh, more performance from the from the cars and getting them up the grid and you know Williams as a story has obviously plenty of press recently for for the wrong reasons sadly because of what's been going on but maybe this you know new injection new mindset new management um, you know combined with what's going on and the passion behind that team is is huge I think we all know that mm. um, you know if a team like that then approaches. Uh, someone like the Hulk, you know, you're looking at then, okay, well look, it's going to be tough next year. However, we've got grand plans for 2022 and we want you to be part of it. And I, again, I'll come back to it. I don't think he can be that picky at the moment. Um,
0: no, but, because, uh, but the only problem with Holkenberg going back to Williams, and I know that's it's like you know, an off, like a, an off the uh, off the cuff sort of suggestion, or yeah. you know, highly unlikely. But of course, the problem is that Latifi brings money, and 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 George Russell brings engines. So I suppose he, he's not going to. But my, I suppose my point was that if, if he came back into somewhere like Haas or Alfa Romeo, he'd be wanting to know that if he does a good job there, that something might possibly open up at a team that's not performing well at the moment but the 2022 regs they seem they sort of all of a sudden click and have got you know two drivers who they could probably that team could probably improve on but you know that's such a long shot though isn't it mm, it is it is it's yeah. a gamble whichever
2: way you look at it yeah and, you
0: know. uh, and it's a shame because he, he's a lovely guy and he was quick and he's unfortunately i think going to end up as the uh record with uh it was the most race starts without a podium which is such a shame
2: it is. It is, and uh, it would have been a fairy tale, wouldn't it, if you'd have done it at Silverstone? Yeah. But um, yeah. yeah, it wasn't to be. But it's still, a very credible performance. Um, you know, outqualified Stroll, finished just behind him in the race, took points. You know, it, it, it's he will look back on his F1 career if something doesn't happen um, with probably not just frustration but real sadness because mm. he he's clearly a very talented driver. Just he—he's the
0: classic case of being in the wrong place at the wrong time.
2: Yeah, yeah, for sure, and and it happens. You know, people make the wrong decision at the wrong time, and unfortunately, you know, you can't look back with with too much regret in those situations because it quite equally could have gone the other way for him, right? But it just hasn't worked out.
0: No, that's right. Okay, um, well, uh, let's take a look just a quickly, uh, just just a quick look at. Of course, the Russian Grand Prix uh, last year, it was looking like, and I, I know I have sort of already covered a little bit of the preview on that earlier, but I just want to get your thoughts on it, James, about um, the Russian Grand Prix this weekend. Of course, last year, it was uh, Ferrari who were looking on for the win, and of course, that didn't happen, and it became a Mercedes' uh, lockout once again uh, on the podium. But it's, um, I think it's, it's a great Grand Prix, isn't it? Because it's got good overtaking opportunities.
2: Yeah, I think it has. It's uh, it's one of the more, I guess, the more modern circuits that actually does provide a little bit of opportunity to overtake. Um, so many of these kind of new designs um, are you know, whilst impressive facilities, et cetera, et cetera. They don't necessarily offer too much in the way of overtaking. And um, it, it always seems to somehow produce an exciting race. Uh, and of course, Valtteri loves it there. So maybe we'll see him uh, he'll break Lewis's uh, spell that he's going through at the moment.
0: It's a really difficult one, isn't it, too, for uh, Valtteri Bottas because just when he thinks he's got Lewis covered, Lewis comes up with, like, half a tenth to beat him into pole position. But then again, yeah. pole position isn't going to be all it's worth You know, this weekend, is it? Because P3 or P4 is actually the better place to start, as we saw last year with Sebastian.
2: Yeah, for sure. That dragged down to the first corner. Um, very similar to the Mugella situation that we faced last weekend. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're in first, you're a sitting duck, really. Um, We've just got to hope, I suppose, that there's no uh, no safety car restarts with uh, potential for people to be <laughs> sauntering along the front straight until they let it go. But, um, you know, like like you say second or third there if you get a good launch really you should be leading by the first corner
0: yep indeed and uh let's just hope max verstappen gets his elbows out if he starts from p3 and slipstreams um, one of the mercedes or both of the mercedes down into turn two on the weekend anyway that's it for this episode of the pitbox podcast any feedback you can do it a number of ways pitboxpodcast at gmail.com if you want to send an email of course on twitter at pitbox podcast and the same for instagram as well and of course give us a couple of stars a nice review as you see fit wherever you pick up your podcasts as well that is it we look forward to reviewing this weekend's action on the next episode and of course taking a look ahead and anything that's going on in the sport between now and then on the next episode of the pitbox podcast catch you then